Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Times that Peter's, Peter Alfred is going to be speaking this morning. I just wanted to take like one minute just to introduce him. I know some of you may not know him or may wonder how he fits in. Uh, he's a member of our church and he was actually leading our young adults for a couple years, two years, something like that. Um, since moved on, but he's a passionate follower of Jesus. He loves the Lord, he loves the Word of God, and uh, I'm really excited this morning to hear his story. I'm excited to see some vulnerability and hear what went on in this past little bit. Um, he is a, uh, a nurse at Southlake, and he was on the front lines. I'm sure that may be a part of his story. But uh, would you just welcome Peter as he's going to share with us? Yeah. I'm just going to one quick prayer. Jesus, I pray you'd be with Peter this morning. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for uh, his story, for his experiences, and all that has led him to this morning, to what he's going to share with us. Uh, I pray that your spirit would be literally speaking on his behalf, that it would be you telling his story through his throat, uh, through his voice, um, for your glory. So, yeah, just excited to hear what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Am I on? Oh, lovely. As you've heard, the past two months we've been going through this sermon series called Losing My Religion. And Pastor Jonathan's given us different reasons why people have left the faith, are leaving the faith. Uh, This morning, I want to tell you my story. It's been a blessing hearing people share. Uh, I'm going to be open and vulnerable with you this morning. You're going to hear things this morning that my family who are watching haven't heard. And you might see two tall, big men cry in front of you this morning. As you saw Glenn, you might see me as well. This morning, what I want to give you is not a sermon, but a series of stories. I want to give you a walk through my past two years. I want to show you the passages I went to to try and find comfort and peace. Before I get into that, let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would use this morning to bring comfort to those who are hurting, to bring peace to those who are in conflict. God, I pray that you might use my story to bring hope to the hopeless. God, I pray that you would speak through me and to me this morning. For it's in your amazing and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Before I get into my story, I think it's important for you to have some, some context. Sorry. So I was born and raised in a Christian home. I've been a Christian since before uh, I can even remember. And at a young age and my, kind of the ending of my elementary school, God gave me a passion for his word. And so I spent 
years just digging into scripture, trying to get to know who this God is. The reason I tell you this is because when I get into my deconstruction, I want you to know that it's not just weak Christians that deconstruct. It's not just people with little faith that have struggles. So the first thing I want you to know is that God had given me and has given me a passion for his word. And so I knew this. I knew this enough to teach it. I knew this enough that Jonathan trusts me to come up here and talk to you. The second part I want to get at is that I've always been known as kind of the happy-go-lucky guy, the funny guy. If you ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you I'm, I'm good to make them laugh. But that all kind of changed two years ago. As many of you have experienced, you know, COVID hit and things kind of changed. As Glenn said, I was working as a nurse on a medicine floor that then turned into the COVID floor. And, and in the midst of that... I started to feel something I had never felt before. I started to feel nothing. started to feel numb. I started through a season of depression. It was hard enough that I couldn't see people as an extrovert, but there were people who were actively not wanting to see me because of my work, which I understand. And, and if that was you, that's okay. I'm just telling you that's part of this story. And in the midst of this, I transitioned from working on a medicine unit to working in the ICU, and nothing could have prepared me for what I was going to see there. As I work in the ICU, I started to see some of the saddest, most depressing stories. I started to be an active participant in watching people go through such pain and suffering that you wouldn't imagine. And so in this already depressed state, I started to go through my own version of PTSD with the things I was seeing at work. And this started to change me. I remember one day saying to my wife, Heather, you know, nothing brings me joy anymore. I don't find joy anywhere anymore. And as I worked more and more and saw more and more pain and suffering and took that upon me, this world that was once full of color and life was becoming full of death and destruction and decay. And all of a sudden the world was gray. My days were spent either at work suffering through that or at home dealing with the suffering that I had seen at work. My life had become so dark and dismal and lifeless. And this was something I had never experienced before. We talk about deconstruction and, and picture with me a Lego set that's built. And sometimes we think deconstruction looks like taking it apart piece by piece. Well, for me, it was as though somebody took that Lego set and smashed it on the ground and stomped on it to pieces. I was broken on the floor. There's an old hymn says, broken I run to you for your arms are open wide. I am weary, but I know your touch restores my life. Well, for me, the only truth there was that I was broken and I was weary. My reasoning for deconstruction was pain and suffering. And maybe that's true for you. In the midst of this pain and suffering, I started to question whether God was good. See, I couldn't question if there was a God. That to me was just, I know there's a God. But rather my question was, is this God who's up above, is he even good? Does he really care for me? Does he really love me? 
Pastor Jonathan, about a month ago, talked about this as a reason people deconstruct, you know, this idea of is God good. Kind of gave some tertiary examples. You know, how can God be good when there's kids starving in Africa? Well, for me, for me, the question is, how is God good when I'm talking to a nine-year-old who watched his father commit suicide? And how is God good when I'm calling family members, telling them their father, who they were talking to yesterday, is dead? And how is God good when I'm spending hours trying to save a man's life only to watch him die right in front of me? How is God good when this is happening? And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what suffering or pain you're going through, but I'm sure you've come to this question. How can our God be all-powerful and yet good and allow this? And so in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pain, I turn to Scripture because that's what I know. And the beauty, the beauty of Christianity is that these questions that we have are questions that have been asked since the beginning of time. This question of, God, are you good? That's not new to me. That's not a unique experience to me. There are people in scripture who have asked this question. So what I'm going to go through this morning is not sermon prep. I didn't come up with these stories so that I had a good sermon. These were what I went to in my suffering and pain. So you're going to see my journey. You're going to see what God brought me through, what he showed me through his word. The first story I want to go through is Job. We're going to look at three stories. I'm going to look at Job. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it in the story of Lazarus. So let's start with Job. In Job 1 verses 8 to 12, if you've never read it before, what happens, the synopsis here is Satan comes up to heaven and God says to Satan, look at my servant Job, look how faithful he is. Satan says, yeah, well, you've given him so much. If you take it all away, he'll curse you. So God allows Satan to do this. And in the matter of three chapters, Job goes from having everything to having nothing. Job's family dies. His cattle dies. His possessions are destroyed. His health fails him. He's covered from head to toe in itchy sores. And it gets to the point in Job 3 verse 3 where he says, Let the day perish on which I was born. Job gets to the point of wanting, I wish I never lived. And we heard that from a testimony this morning. That in the midst of pain and suffering, Job gets to the point of just end it all. And the the story of Job goes that not only has Job lost everything, but his closest friends, those people who were supposed to have his back, start to falsely accuse him saying, you did something to deserve this. So not only has Job lost everything, but now he's being falsely accused. And the story goes, Job is continuously saying, God, I want to talk to you. I want to bring me before God. I have questions for him. God, what have I done to deserve this? Let me talk to you. Come be a man, God. Come and talk to me. And in Job 38 verses 1 to 5, God comes to him. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurement. Surely you know. 
Job comes to God with, God, what have I done to deserve this? God, why is this happening to me? And God's answer to him is, I am God and I do as I please because I am God. And to me, I found no comfort in God's words to Job. And in the midst of my suffering and my pain, and I heard this answer, I thought, what is going on? And yet we see in Job's response that by meeting with God, Job got his answer. God didn't give Job a cushy answer. And yet Job says in Job 42, verse 2 to 6, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, there was something about the meeting between Job and God. God didn't give him a cushy answer. God didn't, at this point, restore Job to his former glory. But rather, by meeting with him, Job comes to this conclusion in verse 3 that, that these things, this pain, this suffering he went through, is too wonderful for him to have understood. Though God at this point had not changed Job's situation, his circumstances, his suffering, his pain, yet Job still, by meeting with God, came to the conclusion that, man, our God is good, and this pain and suffering is something that is a mystery, but it's mysteriously wonderful. And as I read this in my suffering and pain, I found a little bit of hope. Not in what God said, but in knowing that there was something about meeting with God that changed Job's whole perspective. The second story I want to look at is that of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, if you've never read him or heard of him, known kind of as the watchman. The story of Habakkuk is he's this guy watching as Israel rebels against God. And meanwhile, they're doing these evil things, these atrocities to each other. And there's this empire growing, this anti-Christian empire growing and killing people at masses and, and doing terrible, terrible things. And Habakkuk is stuck watching this. And he says this in Habakkuk 1 verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for your help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? And that was my my question. God, why? Why do you work this way? The, The story of Habakkuk goes that God starts talking to him and they have this conversation. And Habakkuk's main question is, God, why are you working like this? I wouldn't do things this way. Why is this the way that you want to work things out? And again, God doesn't give him a cushy answer. Like Job, God's answer to him is is basically that there's going to be a lot more destruction and chaos. There will be a remnant of faithful left, but there's a lot more suffering to come. And yet, like Job, Habakkuk found some peace in what God said. In Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
Notice something here similar to Job. His situation did not change. And yet his attitude completely did. Not necessarily by the words of God, but by meeting with him. And in the midst of my pain and suffering, as I read this story, I found a little bit of comfort in knowing that Habakkuk, like Job, by meeting with God, would come to the conclusion that no matter what happens here, our God is still good. The final story I want to look at is that of Lazarus in John 11, verse 3 to 6. John 11, 3 to 6. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Notice what's happening here is Jesus' good friends, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is dying. And so they send word to Jesus, come quick. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't get on a, a camel or a horse or whatever he rode. And he doesn't do that. He stays where he is for two more days. And that leads to Mary and Martha asking the question, where are you, God? Where were you, Jesus? We read this in John eleven thirty two verse 35 Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then everyone's favorite verse of scripture, Jesus wept. And so in the midst of my pain and suffering, as I'm asking the question, where are you, God? And as I feel abandoned by him, I found a little bit of comfort in knowing that my Jesus felt so deeply for Mary that he wept with her. It wasn't because the situation was dire. It wasn't because Lazarus was going to be dead forever and there was nothing he could do about it. But it was because he was deeply moved by her. And I found some comfort in knowing that my Jesus feels for me. And so even though I read these and I found some comfort, I still was like, well, that was then. That was these people. What about me? What about my story? What about my suffering? What about my pain? You see, I see God's good here. But what about for me? And there's three main questions I think we ask. The first We ask like Job, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve this suffering and this pain? The second question we ask like Habakkuk, God, why are you working this way? Why are you allowing this to happen? And the third question we ask like Mary and Martha, why aren't you here? Where are you, God? Notice in these three stories, we don't always have a happy ending. But what we do have is people who, by meeting with God, have been transformed and their questions have been answered. So if you asked Job, Habakkuk, Mary, or Martha, or Lazarus, if you asked them the question, is God good? Their answer would be a resounding yes. And yet, even through reading this, it's still, I still felt uneasy and I still felt like my answer my question wasn't answered see the question behind the question of is God good is does God really love me 
this God who, who claims to be love itself. Is that true? And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what pain and suffering looks like to you. But I'll tell you in mine, all I could ask was, man, God, where's your love? And do you really have it? My faith was shaken, not only shaken, it was shattered. And then, like Job, like Habakkuk, like Mary and Martha, God met with me. One day, as I was broken in pieces, I looked up and I saw that. I saw the very emblem of suffering and pain and shame. I saw my Jesus on the cross. My Jesus who went through some of the worst pain and suffering, if not the worst pain and suffering that anyone can ever endure. Not only did he go through the pain and suffering of a Roman crucifixion, but he was betrayed by those closest to him. He was falsely accused like Job was. Everyone who was supposed to be closest to him ran away and he was left alone and broken in a garden praying and in such agony that he is sweating blood. And as I question, my God, are you good? I saw Jesus on the cross say to me, what more? What more could I do for you? What better symbol of love can I show you? What more could I give up for you? See, in the story of Job, Job lost everything. In the story of Jesus, Jesus gave up everything. And so as I asked the question, God, are you good? Do you love me? I saw my Jesus stand there dying for me. And I got my answer. In Romans 5, Romans 5, verses 6 to 11, it says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Greater love hath no more than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. See, my Jesus, my God, died for me. And in that day, in that moment of being brought broken before the foot of the cross and seeing my Jesus up there, reminding me of the love that God has for me, of the goodness of God our Father, he started in me this reconstruction. 
and I'm still going through that right now. What that looks like is I'm still broken pieces before the cross, but God is showing me what pieces to pick up and which ones to do away with. What pieces are pieces that God has built into me to be the man of God he wants me to be, and what pieces have I put there? So in my brokenness, God is leading me and teaching me how to become what he wants me to be. So some application. If this is you, if you've heard me talk this morning and you've said, that's me, I'm asking that question. If this is you and you're saying, I get it, I resound with what you say, the pain and suffering I'm going through has become too much for me. This application's for you. Point number one, my sermon title is, I'm not okay. Because that has become my generation's way of telling each other that things are deeply wrong. Two months ago, I told a good buddy of mine and his wife, I said to them, I'm not okay. And that's all I needed to say for them to realize that there was a deep, deep deep-rooted pain and suffering that I was going through. So if this is you, tell someone. Find someone that you trust and tell them. Don't suffer alone. If that means seeing a therapist, please, by all means, see one. I've been seeing a therapist for two years. And it's been transformational. If that means seeing a psychiatrist, a psychologist, being put on medication, do that. If there's any stigma against taking medication for mental illness, you're wrong. I'll talk to you after service. I'd love to tell you how wrong you are. Get help. I'll be here after service. If nothing else, I'd love to talk to you. I don't have all the answers, but, but talk to someone. We as the church, this is our job. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, share one another's burdens. This is our job. Point number two, if this is you, ask questions while seeking truth. I think the difference between my experience of deconstruction and that of of some of the people you saw on the screen is that while I was questioning, my heart set was, I want to know truth, not my truth, not things that sound cushy to me, but I want to know the truth. So if this is you, if you are in pain and suffering and it's causing you to ask questions, keep asking them. But remember what you're looking for is the truth. Because if you seek it, you will find it. And that truth is going to set you free. And point number three, if this is you, I want you to know you're loved. If you're telling me, Peter, there's no one on earth who loves me. Well, there's a God who has proven that he loves you. There's a God that did that. If you're on the camera, I'm pointing to a cross. I just realized you probably don't, you're like, what's over there? Is there a person? No, it's the cross. You're like, oh, Jeremy's over there. He's going to save me. No, it's, it's the cross. So I want you to know you're loved. Now, if this isn't you, and and when I went through my sermon with my wife, she's like, you got to give these other people something. If this isn't you, but you know someone who's in this, here's some application for you. Maybe you're saying, I don't get it. How can someone with a firm foundational faith, how could they ever question it? Well, praise God that that you haven't come to this. and, And I hope and pray that you never do. But if you're saying, you know, I know someone who's not okay, and and I don't know how to deal with them, this is for you. Point number one, I want you to learn from Jesus and weep with them. 
Notice when Jesus meets with Mary, he doesn't come to her with questions and saying, you lack faith, Mary. No, he sits and he cries with her. Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. If you know someone who's not okay, you sit with them and you just cry. Point number two, pray for them. I can tell you in my experience that those few people that I opened up my world to and that I knew were praying for me, it was such an encouragement. So please pray for them. Point number, two, point number three, give them some space, give them time. If you would ask me a year ago to share this, I wouldn't have had anything to say. It takes time and space. It's taken me time and space for God to get me to the place that I'm at now. Point number four, do away with the cliches. How often do we as Christians say, oh, Romans 8, 28, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Well, I'm sorry, but in the midst of my pain and suffering, I know those verses. I know them. You don't need to tell them or shout them at me thinking that that's going to do any help. Get away from the cliches and be real with these people. The suffering they're going through is very real. The least you can do is be real with them. And point number five, just love them. You know them. You know them enough that they're coming to you saying they're not okay. You love them in a way that you know that they'll receive it. If they need a bowl of soup, you bring them a bowl of soup. I love soup, by the way. If anyone wants to drop by, my address will be up there. Uh, Mushroom soup I'm partial to. But just love them. We're going to end this morning by singing It Is Well, and that's for a reason. A month ago, a good friend of mine was ordained, and at his, at his ordination, we were singing the hymn version. We'll sing the hip version this morning, but we were singing the hymn version of It Is Well, and I could not sing it. Rather, I sat in my pew and I wept because the truth was, it was not well with my soul. The truth was, those sorrows like sea billows were rolling and I was drowning in them. So if this is you, if you're saying, I'm not okay this morning, and as we sing, it is well. If it's not well with your soul, don't sing. But rather, get on your knees and you look at my Jesus on the cross. Rather than sing, if it's not well with you, may I just lead you and implore you and encourage you to come on your knees before Jesus Christ and see him. And see him say to you that I did this because I love you. As the band comes up, I'd like to read for you a quote from a book I'm reading called The Love of God by Oswald Chambers. And I think it perfectly encapsulates my experience of what understanding God's love is like. He says this, God is love. One brief sentence, short enough to print on a ring. It is the gospel. A time is coming when the whole world will know that God reigns and that God is love. When hell and heaven, life and death, sin and salvation will be correctly read and understood at last. God is love, a puzzling text to be solved slowly with tears and repentance, by prayer and joy, by vision and death, and at last, sorry, vision and faith, and at last by death. Father God, I pray, I pray for those this morning who are saying that they're not okay, who are going through pain and suffering, 
who for them it's not well with their soul. God, I pray that you might bring them before your cross, remind them of your love, that God, though their situation may not change this side of heaven, it doesn't change your goodness. God, I pray for those who know someone who's not okay. I pray that you would give them the wisdom they need to know when to speak and when to listen. That you would give them the wisdom and the words they need to speak life into their friend's life. God, lastly, I pray for myself. I pray that daily you might remind me of your goodness and your love that daily you would bring the realization, the reality of the cross to the forefront of my mind to remind me of how good you are. For it's in your amazing and powerful name I pray, Jesus. Amen.